Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, I'm Tony Gow, and you're listening to We Are West Ham Podcast. You are listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards and James Jones. And it is 62 years to the day since a 17-year-old Bobby Moore made his West Ham debut against Manchester United. But rather than remembering the great man fondly, fans today are instead suggesting Bobby would be ashamed to see the way the club is being run with some even saying he would be turning in his grave. We recorded our last show just before the Grady Dean Garner explosion. In seven days, West Ham have sold one of our brightest young talents to direct relegation rival, a usually silent on social media captain, Mark Noble, backed up by several members of the first team squad, spoke out against the club's decision to sell Dean Garner. Anger towards the board is at an all-time high, and to cap it all off, we got convincingly thrashed 5-3 at home, by recently relegated Bournemouth in the Betway Cup final on Saturday. The silverware that Jonesy so coveted gone into the clouds. I had the pleasure of attending Saturday's game, my first match since lockdown. But as always, nothing comes close to the pleasure I experienced recording the We Are West Ham podcast with James Jones and Thomas Edwards. Lads, a crazy week. Lovely to see you again. The pack show coming up. First of all, James, I'll go to you first. How are you? I'm all right. Um, I suppose the big question this week, Will, after you had your little outburst last week, um, is, is how are you? <laughs> Which, what, what about my knee, you mean? Is that what you yeah, meant? How's yeah, your knee? I, I, when I listened back the following day, I, I, I noticed that you were like, well, no one asked me how I am, so I'm just going to tell you anyway. <laughs> so, um, so I'm asking you. I mean, I'm absolutely fine, mate. Yeah. Um, if not, you know, a little bit frustrated with what's going on, but we'll get into that. Mm. But how are you, mate? Uh, well, okay. Little update on my health. Uh, do you want the good news or the bad news? Um, it's always good to start with good news, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Well, the good news is my knee has improved tenfold. Still a little bit achy, but I think it'll be I'll be right as rain as planned in time for my surfing holiday, which I'm still planning on going on. Uh, the bad news is I have contracted tonsillitis. Uh, full-blown antibiotics. I did have a COVID worry at first because I started feeling a bit fevery. However, I've been smashing the antibiotics in for a couple of days and the ibuprofens. So just so my voice holds up for the We Are West Sound podcast. So always got an ailment to tell you about, Jonesy. But um, so yeah, knees better, thanks. Throat's quite bad, but I'm, I'm powering through. 
question ever asked, mate. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> sounds awful. Right. That, that's actually why you never ask me how I am, isn't it? I've just realised. <laughs> Tom, how are you? Any? Uh, I don't. I don't really want too many health problems if we can mm. or, uh, more how you doing and how you coping given the um you're probably the angrier of the three which is a title i'm glad you've taken off of me yeah we are west ham show but how are you uh, how are you coping this week all good up to my eyeballs in rage actually mate but yeah body's fine left foot the the money foot's still going so i'm all right with that but <laughs> the money maker uh, yeah exactly you know it but um yeah mate apart from being heartbroken that my grady dean garner's uh elsewhere in passes new i'm actually i'm holding up all right mate no complaints my end oh i'm very very pleased to hear it we will of course as i say we uh, the show we recorded last week came just before the storm hit really there was not necessarily positivity among the boys because we still hadn't done much in the transfer window but it was basically the day that the podcast went live uh, that's when the Grady Diangana explosion happened. As I say, loads has happened since then. We will, of course, cover that on the show. We'll give wait to that uh, for that until segment two, so we can really do it a bit of justice. But I'm sure a lot of you listening will have uh, heard lots of different views and have your own views on that during the week. So we'll talk about the Bournemouth game. Uh, lost the Betway Cup. It's the, they're the fifth different winner. Uh, Bournemouth of the Betway Cup. It's only been running six seasons um, and West Ham won it once. That says it all. We were shambolic in defence, to be fair. Josh Cullen might have been a small positive. We'll talk about that. We'll cover the headlines. There's uh, the news, obviously, that a lot of the three o'clock games will now be aired or all the non-televised games will be on TV so fans will be able to watch their team for the next month. The Carling Cup, sorry, Carabao Cup, as it's now called uh, with that draw took place the squad numbers were announced Thomas Suchek self-isolating we'll look at some transfers even though it's a bit of a lull segment now because what's the point the Diangana saga we'll of course cover we asked you the We Are West Ham listeners what you thought where the Diangana money should be reinvested on Twitter so we'll talk about that we've got some guests tonight as we will have for the remainder of the season two tonight Oscar Paul the Sun newspaper's Northeast reporter will be on to do our first opposition view of the season as we look ahead to the Newcastle game on Saturday. That's been moved to an eight o'clock kickoff today, I believe, the Newcastle game. They have been making signings. Our, one of our previous episodes was called the London version of Newcastle. I don't think that is the case anymore because they're going out and doing bits in the transfer window. Name that game is back. We've got a finalised format for you. So the league table kicks off from today and we've got Ella German West Ham fan, sports journalist and women's football expert on last of all to talk about the West Ham women's team who drew one all with Tottenham at the weekend. Loads to pack in tonight, gentlemen. Looking forward to having having some guests on and some different voices from ours. Jonesy, uh, I'll start with you first. We have got a busy one coming up for the bit of housekeeping that we like to do at the beginning of each show. I was very disappointed with the listeners after last week. I asked really nicely if they could give us a review on their chosen podcast platform. I have only checked Apple this evening, but nothing. Do you think it's because they were too grief-stricken to hear about my knee? I think so, yeah. But I mean, I don't know whether you've received any letters in the post, Will, about sort of, you know, get well soon <laughs> cards or something like that, mate. That's true, actually. Uh, I, I I haven't checked, but you would have thought if I if we check the we are West Ham pod at gmail.com email address where any of the fans can get in touch with us, I imagine there'll be a few well wishes in there, will there? No, nope. unless Absolutely they landed no. in unless they landed in spam, which I mean, 
Maybe you <laughs> must have just gone get well soon. Nah. That's it. Straight, That's it. straight in the bin. Uh, Josie, the, we've got a fantasy football league, though, haven't we? Tell everyone about that. Yeah, we've got fantasy football league. Um, over, I think we've got about 300 people in there now, which is a, a decent haul. Uh, should make for a decent competition this year. Uh, it's the, the fantasy Premier League game. Um, if you haven't already joined, then make sure you do. Uh, the code is CNY6OU, all in lowercase. Uh, CNY6OU. Get over there. I think we'll, what we'll do is before the deadline later this week, we'll, we'll send a, a link out which will automatically join, sort of send you straight into the lease. You don't have to remember that code. Um, but yeah, we'll tweak that out. But you know, if you're listening now and can't wait to join and get involved, then it's CNY6OU. Absolutely. And Tom, after a couple of technical difficulties last week, fans of the podcast who, who for whom our voices are not enough can also watch us on YouTube. The YouTube description, sorry, the YouTube channel link will go in the podcast description again this week. If you're listening, you can also find it in our pinned tweet on Twitter at we are underscore West Ham. But the, uh, yeah, you can watch us again this week, Tom. Yeah, exactly. And uh, if you guys have noticed or not, I've actually shaved because I watched it back and I was thinking, Christ, where did they pick this guy up from? But um, yeah, it'll be up there hopefully early tomorrow, either by the morning or mid-afternoon, 12-ish, hopefully, is uh, when it will come out and you can see our ugly mugs and enjoy it that way as well, which is a nice thing to look, nice little thing to have. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's housekeeping out of the way. Like I say, review us, subscribe, whether it's on podcast platforms or YouTube channels, whichever you like. Uh, you're also welcome to not do that, by the way. That's absolutely fine. Um, but yeah, do join up, uh, join us on all platforms and of course the fantasy football as well. So let's get straight into it then, lads. Now that's all out of the way. The Bournemouth game, first of all, uh, Jonesy. I was at the game Saturday. I was really privileged to, to be able to go. It's my first one since lockdown. Um, and beforehand, I thought I was really lucky to get to go. And to be honest, even now, I still, I still do feel the same way. It was brilliant to be, um, to be back in the stadium watching it. Very surreal, but uh, just a shambolic game of football. I mean, the fact it was two all at half time was a complete fluke. Bournemouth went to sleep, and Josh Cullen came on and looked like peak Manuel Lanzini for the space of five first half minutes. But they're defending for Bournemouth's goals and concede five goals at home. And I know I'm the one who always bangs a drum about not caring about pre-season, but 5-3 at home to a championship team. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I, did, I didn't, I wasn't just quite as lucky as you, mate. I didn't get a chance to see it. I was on a stag do. So, um, but I was getting the, I was getting the, the, the goal updates on my phone. And yeah, I mean, I'd like to say I was surprised, but when I saw, I think it, when, it, when it went 5-3, I thought all the comebacks on. Um, but having watched the highlights, because I watched the highlights this time, unlike the last the, the last game, um, it's um, head in hands, defending, um, <laughs> and I know that I know I keep saying that you know preseason results don't matter. By that last preseason game, the curtain raiser, as they like to call it, before the season starts, you like to think that you know everything's ironed out, any issues ironed out, communication problems ironed out. Uh, you're back to full match fitness. This is the last go before you before you start the season, and um, you don't expect mistakes and, and sloppy defending to be creeping into your game. So it, make, it makes uh, this weekend a little bit more of a worrying prospect, doesn't it? Tom, did you? I don't know. Did you watch your game again? I did again. Yeah, I was sad enough to watch it, and um, yeah, like Jonesy said, I thought 
just in general, the defence was poor. I know Friday we obviously had the news of Dean Garner, which, like you said, we'll get to later. But that obviously clearly rocked a few players. Johnson, who grew up with him, he had one of the worst 20 minutes I've seen anyone put in in any game, let alone a friendly. Pulled off after 25, yeah. I don't want to call him out. He's clearly a really highly talented player. That doesn't affect how I see him. He's, he's a talented bloke and he'll go on to have a good career with us, touch with. But he was, he was beyond woeful. Um, Cresswell was all over the place. They were just picking holes for us. It was a constant theme of the game. Lewis Cook would get on the ball. He'd have the freedom of Olympic Stadium and he'd just be able to thread it through our midfield. He weren't mobile enough, weren't good enough. And we got to bear in mind that they are a team who who's quite in a good place to judge us on. They're a team who got relegated last year. They were missing Fraser, missing Wilson, missing all their big players, as we were missing Rice and Sushek. I get that point. But we just... We just looked very, very poor and looked like we were nowhere near it. I don't want to be too overdramatic, but it was a really poor watch. It was a bit of a weekend ruiner, even though it was a friendly, to be honest. <laughs> exactly. Their first and last chance of silverware this season up in the smoke. No, I think definitely on the Ben Johnson thing, and I agree, definitely not one to call him out. The whole squad looked just shot there was obviously so much going on there was very few people in the stadium and the ones that were it was all anyone was talking about was Noble's tweet from the night before and the general saga Josh Cullen I say we'll we'll do the Dean Garner bit a bit of uh, justice in a bit but Josh Cullen came on Manuel Lanzini limped off after 25 minutes or 30 about half an hour ish uh, holding his thigh looked like he was injured don't know how I saw you tweet about it Tom um, how unlucky that will be, I don't really know because we were trying to get rid of him anyway, apparently. Uh, Josh Cullen came on, two assists for Jared Bowen within the space of, well, 15 minutes, I think, was um, he played in the first half. He scored two assists within three or four minutes, which was when Bowen's goals went in. And he looked really, really lively, he flattened off a bit in the second half, uh, whether or not he can be blamed for that. I think the whole team just got overrun and Bournemouth looked really good. If anyone's listening, I'd um you know, I'd put your house on them coming back up if you're a if you're a gambling man, because they looked excellent. Josh Cullen though, Jonesy, uh Tom, sorry, do you think you can take a positive from that and do you think he'll get game time this year? Yeah, I think I think we have no choice but to give him game time, not not because of his ability, just because we have a lack of players in that position. And but to be fair to him, he was clearly good. He had a good game. He, he did change the game when he came on. He's had a he's proved himself, unlike many players this day and age. He's gone out alone. He's worked hard and very hard for his minutes at West Ham. He clearly wants to be there. He would have had chances to go permanently, I'm sure of it, in the last few years. And he's stuck at it and he's really tried to earn this. Only shot at making in the West Ham team. And now, at the age of 24, with the experience he's had, he's played in big games for Charlton, Championship, trying to keep him up and playoff wins. I think he's ready. I think he's ready to, to add a something to the squad, whether that be depth more than anything. I don't think he'll ever be a first-team starter for us regularly anyway. But he, he, for me, I'd give him a crack. We have nothing else. We ain't going to spend money on a centre midfielder. So we've got a we've got to rely on him and he's a homegrown talent and we always want to see them do well. And I really hope he does. Well, most of us want to see them stay and do well. That's for sure. He's 24 though. I didn't realize that. I look today, 24. That's, um, that's quite a long way into your career to still be going out on loans and giving chances, isn't it? But um, yeah, I think there, as always, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stick with our, the theme on the We Are West Ham podcast and with the podcast motto, 
that preseason does not matter. So we'll give them a pass. Hope that it was all just because of the Mark Noble and Dean Garner fallout from the day before. And fingers crossed, we can uh, we can win the Betway Cup next season in front of fans and put a smile back on Jonesy's face. The headlines this week, lads. Um, the TV news. I, I, you'll forgive me for not knowing the exact details, but this afternoon I believe it was announced that all. Uh, games that weren't already originally scheduled to be aired on TV will now be live, uh, shown live till the end of September. Am I correct in saying that? I think it's still going to be on the usual providers, so Amazon, BT Sport, and Sky. Uh, West Ham's game with Newcastle on Saturday been moved to an eight o'clock kickoff, I think. Um, which, uh, whether it's a good or a bad thing, means that we'll all be able to watch uh, the team up until the end of September. Jonesy, it looked like a couple of stories emerged that West Ham were one of few clubs that didn't want the the games to be shown on TV. I wonder why. Yeah, I wonder why. It's a mystery. Um, yeah, apparently it was us and Palace that uh, were the only two clubs that that were, were against the, this this agreement for just for September games to be all aired on, on TV. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw Tom tweet about it, you know. Tom's um, been really but, busy on Twitter this week, yeah, hasn't he? been it? really I'm busy. Awesome, lads. Tom <laughs> underscore, at Tom underscore Edwards for anyone who yeah. uh, fancies a bit of hourly entertainment at home. Go on, James. But yeah, no, it's, it, I mean, it's, it doesn't really matter in the end because the, the agreement's gone through. So it was a minority that was against it, just the two of us. So, um, and it, for me, I think it's great. You know, it just means that we've just got to wait a little bit longer on Saturday for us to uh, to have a head in our hands. So it won't be three o'clock Saturday; it'll be be eight o'clock Saturday. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's good that we'll be able to watch the games because I quite enjoyed being able to see every every minute of of, of the football after you know after the restart after COVID. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Tom, Charlton, we're talking about Josh Cullen, obviously on loan at Charlton last season. We've got them in the uh, it's the second round, but West Ham's first round of the Carabao Cup and then Leeds or Hull in the third round if we progress. <laughs> and Jonesy's kindly written on the notes, uh, which we probably won't. <laughs> Tom, Tom, thoughts on the, uh, on the League Cup game? I mean, I say it every year, but the club don't listen or nobody seems to listen, but Having a crack at the Carabao Cup is the best chance we'll ever get at winning anything. <laughs> they obviously and, don't follow you on Twitter, mate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the few who do will know. But um, for me, it's it's I'd rather that than anything else. Go out and have a cut run and do well, and that's what West Ham were about anyway when we were in our peak years and our glory years. And I think that uh, it's a nice run. We could have a lot worse run. We've been drawn against some big sides recently in a lot of cup competitions, and with the run we have in the Premier League and the like without being negative if anyone can look at the fixtures we've got in the league and think it's going to be a tough run of it so why not go out there put a good team out against Charlton get the job done and I must say that um, my heart goes out to all the Charlton fans having to deal with uh, what they're doing at the minute because it's it's sad right there at the minute and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have a good season hope, but not in a Carabao Cup We've got two unpopular owner derbies in quick succession, haven't we? Newcastle on Saturday and then Charlton uh, as well. The, the Like you said, Tom, yes, yeah, it's a sort of complete disarray, uh, certainly at Charlton, and, and you certainly don't envy, envy those fans. The training uh, ground, James, there's been a new sanitising tunnel installed, which is the sort of early front runner 
I believe, where you know, it takes fans' temperatures and then lightly sprays people with like disinfectant <laughs> sanitizer, I believe. Can you tell us more about this? Because they're saying it's a front runner for something that could be rolled out at stadiums to allow fans in. Not for some time, though, I believe. Yes, yeah, it's, it, it's strange that they're trying it at a training ground where you don't get thousands of people rocking up for to, to watch a match of football. It's just a lot of players and a lot of staff. Um, but it's, it's on trial. Um, I was reading the story in the, on the Mail Online and they got pictures of it um, there. And yeah, just I, I, I do find it weird. It says temperatures are recorded with clothes lightly sprayed with a water sanitizer. Um <laughs> Which yeah, I mean I don't know I don't know how that's gonna go down with a lot of people just sitting there sopping wet watching the football. But um but as long as they'll be healthy and safe, I don't know. But yeah, yeah I mean James, if you if you're the sort of bloke who puts your appearance above the health and safety of others, even though you're a COVID denier, then us, you know, tells us everything we need to know about exactly. the sort of bloke you are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, but there, with all this said, uh, it doesn't look like it's um it's gonna be in place at any stadium. By the times fans are penciled in to return in October, so yeah, it's um, it's on trial, but I don't think we'll see it this year, or so we're led to believe anyway. So what you're telling me, James, it wasn't even worth me asking you about in the first place. That's... Um, well, I mean, as it's as it's semi West Ham related because we're trialing it. I suppose mm. you know you're absolutely fine to ask me, Will, and I've and I've given you a, a an answer that I mean I don't really know what else to say. A thorough and robust answer. I like yeah. it. Um, the squad numbers were announced. Jared Bowen changed his number. An, an odd change. Changed it from 17 to 20. I'm not sure why. I don't know if you two can mm. shed any light on it. Nothing. No number for Nathan Holland in the squad announcement. Are you surprised by that, Tom? Um, I've seen a bit of Nathan Holland, actually, at Oxford United. On He was on the box a few times in the FA Cup. I've seen I was up at Wolves when he came on. He's clearly got a bit about him, talented player. So it makes, especially when we just sold a winger, it was a bit, I found that a bit odd. It's, it's sort of a, a sign that he may not be involved or at least Moyes isn't planning on using him and it would take a lot for him to to get called up into the squad. But it's gone ever since he had that loan deal. It's uh, It all went a bit cold on him. I know he got a bit of an injury um, there at one point and he hasn't really played much football since. But there was so much talk about him last year. He was nominated for PL2 Player of the Season. So he's obviously talented boy but it's just it's just another one of those young players who seems like he'll, he'll drift out of the club without making much hullabaloo and he'll just end up somewhere and that'll be sort of it with his West Ham career with with not much progress really one game in the Premier League couple games in the League Cup here and there but we've never really given him a shot at it and it's it's another case but he, he probably isn't good enough to be honest well, one man who didn't go through the water sanitization tunnel at the training ground or wherever he was, to be fair, Jonesy, is Thomas Suchek, the, uh, our star midfielder, the Czech, Cheku Kuyati, as he's been dubbed, not really by fans, just by me, I think, and it hasn't really caught on. Yeah, he's self-isolating at the moment. I'm not certain um, whether he's actually caught coronavirus. Has he tested positive or has he just come into contact with someone who has? I don't know if either you can shed any light on that, but either way, he's self-isolating, which means he's likely to miss the Newcastle game Saturday, I believe. Yeah, well, a couple of the apparently a couple of the Czech players before their Scotland game uh, tested positive, uh, and that meant that the entire Czech squad was uh, was put into uh, self-isolation. I think mm. no one else has tested positive in in that group. 
Um, it was all a little bit bizarre because it meant that then Czech, the, the Czech team had to then call up an entire new squad to face Scotland. <laughs> Just two um, capped players previously yeah, capped. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, by the sounds of it, they gave Scotland quite a good game as well. So, I could, uh, you know... They're quite unlucky to lose in the end, but it does mean that you know the potential is that we'll, we won't have Suchek available. I'm not too sure when that 14 days is up or 10 days is up, whatever it is, but it means that you know, although he hasn't tested positive, it means that you know he's still going to be self isolating wherever they are. Well, and the, we, we, we will be without him. The original story emerged on the 6th of September, so if you're talking 14 days from then, you're looking till the 20th, so that could even mean if my maths serves me well that you could miss two games, which wouldn't be good at all. Like, we'll uh, we've got some transfers coming up, and in the next segment, stay with us because we'll do the Grady and Garner situation some proper justice. I know the boys will have a lots to say on the topic. Tom Edwards spoke really well on the whole situation with the board last week. You've had it's been not just West Ham news, but it's been national sports news for almost the entire week. The stories rambled on and on and on. So stay with us for all of that next. You are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards and James Jones. And it's been an absolutely crazy week at West Ham. Fan anger towards the board absolutely erupted after they decided to sell young prospect and academy graduate Grady Diangana for £20 million. The club insists that all the money will go back into the coffers on other transfers. Some scepticism, understandably, among fans this week. Uh, But we have been linked. Again, I say linked, boys, pretty tenuously. James Tarkovsky from Burnley seems to have been the loudest rumour that we've heard this week. A £27 million bid, I believe. Now, I spoke to someone on Saturday. Bear in mind, this is sort of obviously a lot can change. And on Saturday, despite rumours to the contrary that an offer had been made... I was told by someone who would know that there had been no offer, uh, but a serious conversation was taking place. So that was on Saturday. Um, I'm fairly confident with that source of information. Since then, I think £27 million. James, you've called it pathetic and embarrassing. Uh, He's in his late 20s, Tarkovsky. I think he's 28. Forgive me if you're listening and you fact-checked me and I'm wrong on that, but I think he's 28. He's a good player. He was disappointed, I understand, to not be included in Gareth Southgate's latest England squad. So before we move on to the full Garner situation, let's just quickly look at the, the transfers. James Tarkovsky, James Jones, what are your thoughts and beliefs? Um, the reason why I put that in there is because, you know, although James Tarkovsky plays for Burnley... Um, and with, with no, I mean no disrespect towards Burnley, but you know they're, they're seen as a, an, an unfashionable club, and they don't get many players called up to, to to national teams, you know. And everyone goes, you know, if James Tarkovsky was playing for a bigger club, he would he would have many many caps under his belt. He, he's that good. He's a good defender. Um, what about if he was playing for West Ham? He he would. I mean, he would get called up. I, I, I genuinely believe he would. I mean, I know. We've said for years that, you know, some of our players deserve call-ups and they play for bigger clubs. Um, but I think James Tarkovsky would. He'd have a better chance, at least. Um, and that's no disrespect to Burnley. But, you know, if you look at any of the stats from over the last what, four years that he's been at Burnley, he's always been up there amongst the top defenders in the Premier League. But not many people notice him because he plays for Burnley. 
um, and you know, I know a couple of people at work that they write statistical articles, analytical articles, um, and they rave about him because I mean, they watch him a little bit closer because they're you know they're writing about him a bit more. But um, he, he's a very very good defender, and you know, to, to go in and I think the first offer was was reportedly twenty million, which for me is you know, if I'm Burnley, I'm insulted because he's their best defender, um, and in today's market, um, you know, English defenders don't go for 20 million quid. Um, and it's just ridiculous for us to even think that Bernie would even consider that. Well, you can pick up a club's best winger or best young winger for 18 million these days. So I don't know what it is, what on earth it is that makes you think you know more about football, Jonesy, <laughs> that you can make a wild statement like that. Look, I can already tell that I've done this the wrong way around on this segment. We should have gone straight into it. The Tarkovsky thing is, as everything else has been this week, an offshoot of the Grady, the Ghana thing. So... Just everyone knows what happened. The club sold Grady the Ingana for a bid believed to be 18 million, raising to 20 ish with add ons. Q Twitter fury, and we've said it before there's often Twitter fury um, when you support West Ham. And if you follow a lot of West Ham accounts on Twitter, there is a lot of that already. But this was next level. And when you've got your captain, Mark Noble, who we all love him, but he's been pretty good for the the club as well he does tend to just keep his mouth shut and get on with his job he came out and tweeted his first tweet I did check it was his first tweet for a very long time the last one was players together which I all agreed to tweet the other stuff is like feel good charity stuff that he tweets once in a blue moon and for him to come out and say that he was angry and disappointed and gutted that Grady a great kid with a great future has been sold I think tells you all you need to know and it validated a lot of fans how they felt Jack Wilshere, uh, Arthur Masuaku, Sebastian Haller, Declan Rice and Robert Snodgrass I think there might have been a couple more that I may be forgetting all either shared commented or liked their Mark Noble's tweet on Twitter as well Wilshere I find that slightly ironic Uh, he's sitting there with enormous wages and perhaps we would be able to keep Dean Garner if he wasn't hanging around the club like a bad smell however it was, I mean, I haven't seen something like it for a long time. Tom, you, you tell me first. Yeah. Uh, you're laughing now, but mm. yeah, just no. what you talk, Mate. talk, talk. Yeah, I was um, the week, the day before we obviously recorded our podcast and we were waxing lyrical. Me and my like, particular was saying how I thought he could be hammer of the year, how I think he could really impress it and, and give the fans something to get off their seats about and excited a young talented winger who's come through the academy proved himself on loan and when I mean proved himself gone to one of the hardest leagues in world football as a young boy who everyone said wasn't physical enough in the Premier League gone there stamped his own authority on the league with flair talent both footed driving at people goals and assists scored goals in a game where West Brom were behind to get promoted to get them a point to get up goal and assist in that game he showed bottle heart. He's he's a talented young boy, and he was the leading light for us going to the season without any signings. I think majority of fans would say that that's the thing that was exciting them the most leading into this season. Yet we've made a nonsensical, lazy decision, which basically shows how the lack of the lack of ability we have in the transfer market, whether that be because people don't want to deal with us or because our recruitment strategy is poor, we've ended up doing it against our will supposedly as the club said on their website and that all the rumors coming out and all the noises that it wasn't ideal we didn't want to do it but we've ended up selling him because we aren't good enough in the market to offload players who we didn't want there like Lanzini like Anderson like potentially Yarmolenko and we've decided to get rid of one of our prized assets one of the most exciting young English footballers 
in the country right now um, to his rival, to a rival who's potentially going to be a relegation rival. And it's a transfer which could really hurt us down the line. And it was just a really sad moment when the whole club seemed to implode on that very night before a friendly where Noble should be sleeping, should be with the team, should be getting stuff organised for the game tomorrow and focusing on the season. And instead, you've got almost anarchy amongst the players and the fans where they're all sort of turning on the owners and agreeing with what fans have been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it's, it's just sad. We call ourselves the Academy of Football, yet we've let go. Um, Jeremy Ngakia, the guy to Porto, I'm sorry, I don't know his name, the 16-year-old to Porto, and then Dean Garner within about two months of each other. And Declan Rice is strongly rumoured to still be off. And it just felt like a real kick in, kick in the teeth to every West Ham fan out there because this is what we've all been grown up on. We're a family club who, who you tend to be a West Ham fan because you've got some connection to it. And one of those big, big things why we have connections because we make our own players and we make very good players. And he's another one. But sadly, he's going to be applying his trade elsewhere, and that money's that. And all we've got is a meager fee for him. Where Ollie Watkins going for thirty-three million supposedly tonight, and we've got eighty million for one of the best players in the championship last season. So yeah, Ollie, yeah. Wa- Ollie Watkins playing for a team that didn't get promoted, Dan yeah. Garner playing for a team that did. And Tom, you've hit the nail on the head there. For a fan base who has already in their in their hearts and in their minds, maybe mm-hmm. not in the hearts and minds of those who run the club but in Mm. the hearts and minds of the fan base who have already lost so much already for the one thing they did Mm. have to cling on to like you said which is why everyone's loved Declan Rice's rise to prominence so much is because of the fact he's a young player who's come through the academy I know he came when he was 14 Dean Garner I think came when he was 10 pictures emerging of him yeah 10 years of age the other day just not given a chance for 18 million pounds. And again, it's important to, uh, it's clear, I think, how you feel about it, Tom. I feel the same. I just felt really sad about it. When Mark Noble tweeted, it just made me feel sad because I thought, what is going on here? If Mark Noble, who's obviously a fan of the football club and had obviously just had enough, he will have seen it. He's got Twitter and, you know, he might not tweet much, but he'll obviously go on social media like everyone else. And, whilst there was a lot of people going, yeah, excellent, Mark, well done. And I agree. And, you know, so many fans who are very, very vocal and feel passionately about the predicament they find themselves and the club in, they they must have felt vindicated by that. And that must have been like a huge weight on their shoulders going, yes, the captain, we're not just like the mad, angry crackpots like the club um, or like the board try to make us out to be. The captain feels the same way. The captain shares our anger. Mark Noble, the fan of the football club and the, the captain of our football club, feels the same way. I think that I think for for that alone, it, it must have vindicated so many people. And I'm glad that happened. I'm glad there's mm. not that, that there is that sense of belonging. And I think in a weird way, it's united the club and the players more than it has done for a long time. But yeah, I just I just felt really really sad about it afterwards when it came out no real sense of joy or whatever I just and I think I texted you two and just said you know what sort of a, a shell of a football club this is we've got left to to support at the moment Jonesy before I, I go on because I do want to ask you and I, it's important that we put forward what the club has said whether or not we agree with it or not and we'll discuss that of course but um, just your your sort of feelings for, for the whole week how have you felt um, with it, with everything that's been going on I mean exactly the same um the, the, the thing with the Mark, the Mark Noble comment, I think it, it summed up 
that the entire situation that the club is going through at the moment, the entire, um, I don't want to call it era, but, you know, period of, of, of its history that it's going through in that we've had four years of unrest um, since we moved into that stadium. Um, Mark Noble has been very, very good at, you know, supporting the board um, as best he can, supporting his employers, you know, not um, speaking out when the fans, you know, potentially needed someone like Mark Noble to come out and speak out. And now he's done that on a, on a forum where he's, you know, almost inactive. Um, says yeah. all you need to know about the situation that we're in. You know, he's gone out of his way to go on to somewhere where he'd never go, he's never seen or, you know, mentioned on. And he and, and he speaks his mind and, and he joins the fans in in the anger and you know the um, you know them being upset and it, I was talking to a, a friend of mine earlier who's a Tottenham fan and he was like you know it's, it's a disgrace that someone like Mark Noble thinks he can come out and say that it's disrespected the board and I'm like well at the same time you know he might feel as if this has been disrespected and lied to by the board himself. Um, and you know, I absolutely. Think, I think twenty years uh, of service. I mean, and you know, what, why is it seen that footballers can't come out and speak their minds? You know, we always want, we always say we want footballers to be more honest. Hang on, we, we don't want to hear, you know, we don't want to hear them toe the line and you know rattle off the same old rubbish and the same old um, sort of media spiel that they do every week, you know, after matches and you know and stuff like that. We want footballers to be honest, um, and then when one is honest. You know, people are like, oh, I shouldn't be saying that. That's a little bit disrespectful. And it's like, well, hang on, you don't really know what's going on. And the fact that he, club captain and fan for over 15 years, has felt the need to speak publicly about it, it, it with using such strong words, says all you need to know about the situation. When you've got people like Jim White on, on TalkSport, you know, still supporting what's going on and stuff like that. And it's, it's just frustrating because um, the, the excuse from the board is, is not, for me, it doesn't justify what's happened. Um, and, you know, it might not have been st- such a strong reaction had the club not been bigging up the fact that Dean Garner was back, back in pre-season, assisting Haller. Haller coming out going, oh, he's, you know, I can't wait to play alongside him this season. Two days before he was sold, the club were like, oh, here's a picture of um, Dean Garner and Jared Bale. <laughs> yeah, Gold tweeted. <laughs> David and Gold only tweeted. David Gold put a picture of him in, in You couldn't write it, could you? And it's like, and then three days later, he's gone. Um, I don't know what Sebastian Haller must be thinking. He's like, hang on, what's going on here? The guys just set me up with three goals the other day. And now he's just <laughs> gone. Um, so He'll yeah, be the, think- it, it, it's just frustrating that, you know, after all of that, you know, and they built fans up, you know, this is a really exciting championship player that's come back to us. He's, you know, he's proved himself at West Brom in a, in a promotion winning side. And now we've got him back. Look how excited he should be setting up goals left, right and centre in pre-season. And actually now we're going to sell him. Um, and to say that apparently that, that one of their decisions, uh, one of their reasons is that uh, it's the only offer we had for a player. You can reject offers for players. You can you can turn around and go, no, he's not up for sale. Have a go at another one of our players. Um, and they, they they had the ability to do that. And I'm not buying this, you know, we have to sell to, to buy players because every other club is buying footballers in the Premier League apart from us. Um, so, yeah, it, it, to sum that up, um, frustrating week, uh, angry week, uh, annoying week and sad week. And um, they've got a month to, to fix it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, to give it some balance, you mentioned Jim White there on TalkSport and, you know, uh, he's obviously um, close to the board. He's got a lot of contacts, high-level contacts throughout 
the football world. That's why he's presented in a primetime show on the biggest sports radio station in the country. There is an element to his job that requires winding fans up or get reaction out of listeners because it does well on the socials and their social media blew up this week didn't it that would have been great for talk sport as a brand their exposure jim white has done his job obviously i think it was today he came out quoting a source close to the board it's like you can't be <laughs> i wonder exactly how close mm. to the board it was <laughs> except but you know that that's that's the jim white's a journalist and and he's presenting an entertainment program as well as as well as information. So Jim White's done what he done that got a, a sincere or severe reaction. But the the board said West Ham's statement uh, read, and it's important we we sort of allude to this as well that the decision was made reluctantly, but in the best interests of the club with a view to strengthening the squad. So the facts of the matter are, whether or not David Moyes agrees with this, the facts of the matter are West Ham are blessed. Not necessarily with talented players, because that would mean paying Philippe Anderson some sort of a compliment. But we've, we're blessed with a lot of uh, attacking wide players. Um, we have got players in those positions. We've got Jared Bowen, Mikel Antonio, Philippe Anderson, Grady Diangana was one of those, Pablo Fornells. All of them can play across that attacking three midfield that we play when we play 4-2-3-1. So if, as I'm led to believe, we couldn't, we were offering Manuel Lanzini and Philippe Anderson about all over the place. And understandably, given the quality of their performances last season, no one was like, oh, yes, please, we'll have some of that. How much are they on? Oh, north of 100,000, 140 Philippe Anderson, around the 80 to 100 mark for Manuel Lanzini. Who's going to want to pay those wages for those players? Philippe Anderson's not going to want to take a pay cut anywhere at all so he's not going anywhere if no one's interested in buying him what do you think Tom I'll throw to you on this one but from that other side of it if you were sitting in the boardroom and again understandably no one is coming in for any of your players barring maybe Declan Rice are you able to see at all or empathize at all with the idea that you know what we do we are desperate for defenders as the Bournemouth friendly showed and if this is our only uh, which I, uh, that's the sticking point for me. If this is our only way of buying exactly mm. what Jonesy's just said, what's everyone else doing? Everyone else is managing to find money from somewhere. I, I, that's the bit that, that sticks with me. But Tom, are you able to, are you um, able to empathize at all? I'm able to understand that Dean Garner was the only one wanted and the, the only player people were willing to stump up any sort of money, let alone the money that the club wanted. And I get that side of it. But like you just said, then every single club in the Premier League, Aston Villa came up last year. We had no money the year before that. Championship money they were getting. Obviously, get promoted, they get playoff money. Spent £100 million last summer. They're probably on their way to spend about £100 million again this summer. You've got Newcastle, who owner wants to sell them, had sold them effectively, just waiting on this final approval by the Premier League. He's still gone out and bought a £20 million striker, Ryan Fraser on big wages, Jamal Lewis, as we've done this podcast, for £13 million. £13 million is no money in today's football. And then you, they're going out and put another bid in for another player. You've got Sheffield United, Ethan Ampadu, the two blokes from Derby. You've got every single club doing business. All right, Tom, fly me. You're making me depressed. I forgot. No, but, 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 <laughs> no you're right. It shows you, right. 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 Every, every single club in the Premier League has done business, serious business. Everton, 
who when we had Arnautovic and Dimitri Pai at the club, which is every, it seems, a year, it seems years and years and years ago, it was no more than five years ago, we had a small window of opportunity to break in to be one of the Premier League's elite top eight teams or whatever. And we, we ballsed it up and you've got Leicester, who won the league fine, they significantly better than us. We were three points out, four points outside the top four, the same season they won the title. Since then, they've gone on to qualify for Europa League, get in finals, semi-finals or cup competitions. They've made the most of it. And they're a Midlands club. Everyone says London's a, a big selling point. They've gone out. They made the most of that opportunity. They've signed people, done everything. We've gone backwards, backwards, backwards and backwards. And we are not, we're not even linked with anyone. Usually West Ham come up and we're linked with everyone. And whether that's to do with people fed up and dealing with us, fed up. <laughs> It just seems it it's just frustrating because you see all these other clubs who are around us who supposedly have poor owners or supposedly have things. I'm not saying it's the owners; they may be cash strapped. I'm not totally blaming them, but just the fact that they they chose probably one of our most prized assets. He, he's worth more than Anderson now. He's worth more than all these people. Young, 22 year old English winger. Um, who had he played in the Premier League and done what he did last year in the Premier League, you'd be looking at 40, 50 million for him if that Billy obviously is not going to transcend quite to that level. But it's just it's just laziness and an inability to get on with it and have enough people willing to sell the players who clearly aren't good enough and are over the hill. And they've just gone, yeah, we'll take that and we'll put a bid in for a centre-half when it's the only place in the back four where we might actually have Premier League-level players. That's that. I'm not sure about that last bit, but that that's the sticking point. And I think as well, the club were keen to isolate purely the financial matter, right, with their statement. Mm. I mean, let's break it down. First of all, a club releasing a statement to justify a transfer. Yeah. Black red flag number one, right there. When does that ever happen? So already you know something's up there. Red flag number two is. I think the club were keen to isolate purely the finances within that statement and say that, oh, we're using money to balance out the squad. And you know what? Fair enough, because we have got some attacking players um, or more attacking players and the defence needs work. However, you, the red flag number two is that you're trying to isolate just on the finances and you're saying, like we've just covered, other Premier League clubs are spending money. So that's red flag number two. You can find money from somewhere. And the thing that really gets me is that finances aside, Grady D and Garner, there's so much political value or political damage, which as we've seen to be done with that signing, surely, surely the PR damage, what's happened now is not worth 18 million pounds. If you had to put a price on the PR damage of what's happened now, surely that is not worth 18 million quid. Then your captain's tweeting about it. This is red flag city over here. I'm not a Formula One aficionado, but I'm pretty sure that if I was, there'd be a, a safety car out at, <laughs> running around the track at London Stadium at the moment. Race called off for me. It's gone. <laughs> yeah, it's dangerous like, conditions. Off. Yeah, dangerous <laughs> conditions. I mean, you're completely right, mate. And it, it's like they've said they can use that money to go and buy a going to strengthen the defence. Well, you know, 13 million and that could have got you Jamal Lewis. It's just gone, you know, they had enough time to go and maybe maybe beat Newcastle to it. And they haven't done it. Um, and you're telling me that he weren't, that he weren't on our radar. I mean, you'd hope that he was on our radar. Um, this, this, as you said, red flags everywhere. And it just worries me that, and I think Tom's alluded to it a couple of times already, it worries me that 
we're struggling to buy players because clubs don't want to do business with us or or know what we're about in the, in the transfer window and are playing hardball deliberately. Um, you know, we, so I think Simon Jordan's alluded to it on um, on, on Talksport previously that you know they are quite difficult people to businessmen to deal with, um, and sometimes that can be a good thing, but. At the moment, it's proven to be a bit of a bad thing, judging by the lack of activity. And, you know, Leicester have notoriously said, you know, they won't do business with us because of, um, I think, something that Karen Brady said in her son column. And uh, and Spurs won't do business with us. Sporting Lisbon have, have said things publicly in the past about that William Carvalho deal. And it's frustrating that we, we, we seem to have now a reputation of a club that's not, not to do business with. And, now I worry that, yeah, okay, their intentions might be to reinvest that money to the defence, but are we going to be able to actually get any of those deals over the line? Um, and if we are, are they, they're clearly not going to be our first choice. Um, and then what, what are we going to be left with? Um, so, yeah, it, it, as you said, red flags everywhere. And in, in terms of PR disaster, I mean, they should, how they did not see this coming, I don't know. I, I really don't know how they didn't see it coming. No, that's uh, and you know some of the lads over at West Ham in the in the press team are, are good lads as well, and it's a it's a job that I certainly oh, do man. not do not envy do it. not envy them one bit. You must be able to go and get a job anywhere after you've done that though for a season or two, yeah. mustn't you? Oh, say, yeah. look, well, look, <laughs> they look deserve at a knighthood at the moment. Bless look at this turd I polished for two seasons. <laughs> Surely you'll hire me. But listen, I don't think there has been some other other transfer stuff. We've got to move on. Passionate topic as ever. What I think is important is we don't get angry just yet about the speculation. So transfers, there is still time. So we never know that the statement has come out. I think we're all within our rights, not just us three, but anyone listening, anyone on Twitter, anyone who's angry at all, just shouting at their uh, colleagues at work about the situation will certainly be entitled to that come the end of the transfer window if we're lining up with the same defence. If that happens, then, you know, anarchy level Mac nine that we've been at this week, I think we'll somehow uh, manage to go one step further, but we'll, we'll wait and see for now. We won't bother uh, doing any of the supposed transfer targets this week. We've seen Shane Duffy go to Celtic. Eze's gone to Palace. Wilson and Fraser gone to Newcastle. Jamal Lewis, as Tom mentioned, has signed while we're recording the podcast. Joan Tarskovsky still at Brent, uh, Burnley, sorry, and Rian Brewster, Liverpool youngster, supposedly linked with us. I think he's, uh, he's a Chadwell Heath boy, but not too many uh, legs in that anyway. Uh, let's just hope that Declan Rice doesn't go. But look, we've got our first opposition view of the season. Oscar Paul, the North East correspondent for the Sun newspaper, joining us next. And uh, yeah, he'll be able to tell us how, if and why the Newcastle fans are actually happier than the West Ham fans for once because their board has out-transferred us, which is not a good place to be when you're envying Newcastle's owners. Stick with us because we'll have that next. You are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards and James Jones. And as ever, that was a passionate, emotional segment from all three of us. The Grady Dean Garner saga has affected every West Ham fan up and down the land and across the planet. And I'm sure all of our We Are West Ham listeners feel exactly the same or very similar to either me, Tom or James with the thoughts that we put across there. Um, but 
thrilled, delighted, in fact, now to move on from that saga. There is a game of football, a Premier League game of football. Again, it only seems like two seconds ago that the Premier League season stopped and we got that draw on the last game of the season at home to Aston Villa. But I'm delighted to say that for our first opposition view of the season on We Are West Ham, we are joined by the Suns North East correspondent, Oscar Paul, who covers a lot of Newcastle and will be doing so again this season. Oscar, thanks a lot for joining us. It's a bit of a weird time for us at the moment. We're used to looking at Newcastle and going, oh, you know what, it could be worse because we could have Mike Ashley as an owner. But now, all of a sudden, three signings in 24, 36 hours or whatever it is. Callum Wilson, Ryan Fraser, and only this evening, Jamal Lewis come to St. James's Park. All of a sudden, we'd give our right arm for a Mike Ashley. Cheers, lads. Thank you for having me on, first of all. And um, I can only imagine the nature of the conversation that you boys have been having, um, watching on from afar at how your summer has turned out. And... To be honest, a week ago, I would have expected this to be another very depressing segment. But actually, I mean, believe it or not, there's actually optimism in Newcastle. Mm. Um, I mean, we we looked as though it was going to be the summer where the Saudis came to town uh, and we were going to be dining at the top table finally. Um, um, and about a week ago, the only signing in the door was Jeff Hendrick. Um, Andy Carroll looked like our only fit striker, uh, or Newcastle's only fit striker, I should say. And um, yeah, things weren't looking good. But to be to give him credit, Steve Bruce. I mean, he he can, he has consistently said, uh, and it's a soundbite he always uses. I will knock down the door of Mike Ashley to get the signings in to move Newcastle forward. And and I think a week ago today they lost five one in a behind closed doors friendly to Middlesbrough. And things just were not looking good. Um, Dwight Gale was injured for four months. Martin Dubravka, the keeper, was out. But as you, as you said, the last 24 hours, I mean, the, I, I've, I've only been up here six months. But I think from gauging the reaction, the, the, these three signings have, um, have given, given Newcastle a real cause of optimism, to be honest, heading into the season. And, um, yeah, what a turn up for the books, really. It's, it's quite incredible. But it's, it's happened under Mike Ashley's watch as well. Yeah, Oscar. Like just on that, you you briefly mentioned the 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 foul takeover there, and you know I think what I mean it was one of those topsy turvy stories, wasn't it? it was like one minute's on, then it's off, and then you know it's controversy involved and, and stuff. And I think it was almost a surprise that that statement came out from you know the Saudi group saying that you know they decided to pull out, and then you know everyone everyone feared for sort of the future of Newcastle in terms of this season. But um, at, at that time. Did you think that yeah, this is over? Because there are there are talks now that there still might be something going on. Do you think that now this is Mark Ashley just kind of going right? Well, I'm just going to consolidate my position here and consolidate the, the position of Newcastle, still a valuable football club with a future. I think I think it just reached an impasse where there was no way forward. I mean, you speak to the day they they released that um, you know their withdrawal you speak to them and it was very 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 much put the blame on the premier league uh, and then there was this whole i don't know if you if you followed every every tweet the premier league put out i mean thousands of newcastle fans piling in premier league corruption richard masters this this they did come out and and then laid the blame back at them amanda Stavely and the rubin brothers who were two parts of it um, are still keen but the, the biggest player, the 80% stakeholder, which potentially 80% stakeholder, the Saudis, they've gone quiet. And um, 
the, the biggest problem from the outset was how do you separate? So it was it was the it was a public investment fund of Saudi Arabia, a sovereign wealth fund, which is headed by the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. How do you separate those powers? Because the Premier League would never let never let them come in, and I don't think they I don't think they're going to come back to town. Um, and I mean, it really was. It rumbled, you say it rumbled on a bit, it was going on for four months. Um, four months of hope um, of finally getting rid of, of Mike Ashley, who you guys obviously know you've got your own issues as well. But I mean, the guy the guy is despised up in Newcastle. Uh, it doesn't mean need to say that. And they thought they finally got rid of him. They're back at the drawing board. and the, There was no hope, I don't think, on anyone that, that there was going to be any signings this season. Relegation looked, I mean... Not, certainly not nailed on, but I mean a proper scrap, another scrap to stay afloat. Um, but whether why Mike Ashley has finally put this money in, I don't know exactly. Is it a case of well, he's got to keep the club in the Premier League to to find a buyer? Maybe, um, maybe it's Steve Bruce. You know, Rafa Benitez tried for a couple of years to get money off him, didn't quite work. Steve Bruce has gone about his business quietly, and he's got his men. He's identified what. They had top top goal scorer last season, John Joe Shelby, with six. Uh, £40 million Joel Linton, I think he scored two goals. Um, they've identified what they need and they've done it with a few days to go before um, before heading down to London. So, um, yeah, in, interesting times, lads. Oscar, it's obviously been a short pre-season anyway. No one's really got a lot of minutes in, but how many of the new signings do you think will actually feature this week? Because obviously Fraser hasn't played a lot of football yeah. since lockdown whatsoever. Yeah. Wilson just signed this week. Jamal Lewis yeah. today. He was yeah. obviously way in Northern Ireland. But how many of them do you actually think will feature? Because I pray Wilson doesn't because he scores every time yeah. against I don't, I don't know if you saw that he also had a little cheeky dig at West Ham yesterday. Just reminding everyone that I think he said his comments, if I'm not wrong, were, yeah, they're a nice team to play against. I enjoy playing against those. It does does well for my confidence. <laughs> <Cheers>. <laughs> I, I would expect him to start, really. Um, as, look, Dwight Gale's out. Joel Linton's not a striker. Andy Carroll's Andy Carroll. You guys know that well enough. Um, he, you can't go into a season with him first choice. So I'd expect Wilson to start. I think he's been training throughout at Bournemouth, whether it's a 60-minute job. Ryan Fraser, as you say, Tom, is um, mm. he'd probably start on the bench, I'd imagine. Um, hasn't had any game time to go straight into it. It's tough. Jamal Lewis, uh, well, Newcastle don't have a left-back. So... Um, I'd expect him to start. I mean, there's Paul Dummett as well, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him. And then the big one, we shouldn't forget Jeff Hendrick as well, you know. Mm. That's an exciting, exciting signing throughout the summer and he'll be on the bench. Maybe, maybe not. He might start alongside one of Shelby or Hayden. But um, mm. yeah, I, I think we, I think you might have Wilson to contend with on, on Saturday, I'm afraid to say. That, I was, um, yeah, having watched the, uh, the, the, gone to the game on Saturday, West Ham versus Bournemouth conceded five goals at home to a recently relegated side. Dominic Solanke, who couldn't get in the team ahead of Wilson at Bournemouth all last season, looked pretty lively against Issa Diop, who was continually rolling out the red carpet for him. Oscar, what's the what's the feeling among the fans now after the... Obviously, we know the takeover's collapsed, but with these sign-ins, we do, we, there is a real affinity between West Ham and Newcastle fans because of the plight which both sets of supporters feel that they're in. 
under their current ownership or regimes. Uh, what, what is the has the mood changed at all towards Newcastle? Because as a as a sort of independent uh, observer for me last season, I felt pretty sorry for Steve Bruce because a bit like I do with David Moyes, bit of a poison chalice. Um, but what's the what, is the feeling among fans shifted because it looks like they're doing some really good business. Well, they have, as we've just said. I think it's a difficult one with Bruce, and I think it's split somewhat down the middle. Um, I think you've got to remember that back in January, they just had, they had to give out 10,000 free season tickets just, just to fill the ground. Um, people, <laughs> put off, people were put off. Ashley, uh, the, the style of football under Bruce was turgid at best. It really was. Um, and you also got to remember that he replaced the Messiah. He replaced Rafa Benitez. Um, and when he left, it was, it was very much a case of, well, where do we go from here? Bruce, he's come in. He changed it up, so he changed the system. He tried to get them playing again, but he, he hasn't won them over. I, I think it's very far-fetched to say he's won over the majority. I think that if there was a full St. James's Park, there'd be a lot of empty seats, especially after this takeover. This, as I said, this takeover was the, the thing. It was the thing which is finally going to unlock the potential which Ashley had in a way been stifling what about the... these signings though Oscar what about the, yeah. the is there a sense of oh you know we've yeah. actually got some decent like Callum Wilson's not really a hump it up the top merchant is he Ryan Fraser's a good tricky technical winger these yeah. aren't these aren't like Andy Carroll's and Jeff Hendrick signings where you just think oh that's nothing's going to be pretty there is there a sense of that's all right or, or as there is at West Ham are there some fans that just go I don't care I don't care. I just I want Ashley. Yeah. We can sign. I think I think those. I think a lot of those fans have um, gone, and they're not coming back until Ashley goes. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I was, yeah, the doom and gloom is lifted. I mean, all you have to do is gauge it on social media. I mean, they they. It's, it's, I think these three signings are three signings which you got. I can't, you know, just off the top of my head, when was the last time they had three exciting players and. Up front, goals and creativity have always been the problem under Steve Bruce. Oh, they couldn't create. They couldn't. John Joe several times, but they've got Sam Maximin, Almiron, and Fraser behind Callum Wilson, who two seasons ago, what he scored 14, I think. Fraser and Wilson as a double act as well. Um, I think they have the record for the most goal contributions, as in assisting each other. I mean, they come as a little bit of a package. and. Bruce has always consistently talked about, look, we're, we're, we're trying to get there, but, you know, it's, it's small steps at a time to play the brand of football that we want, that you guys want to see on the terraces. And Joel Linton, £40 million, it wasn't his signing, but then where do you go to? An injury-prone Dwight Gale or Andy Carroll? But now, as you say, he's a top, top number nine, Callum Wilson, isn't it? And, um, yeah, I'd say there is optimism. I mean, it might have only shifted from scrapping for relegation to 14th, which, <laughs> you know, what's that for optimism? I mean, Newcastle's a club. That's, that's, called, that's called West Ham optimism, Oscar. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm trying to make a case for how Newcastle might get into the top 10 this season. And on the paper, it seems below, below the, you know, what's the squad depth like if Wilson, who has had two terrible knee injuries, what happens if... But... On paper, I think they're top of the top of the top of the pitch is, is as exciting as as it gets outside the top six. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Yeah. Oscar, what now for Joe Linton? So you mentioned him, you know, he's not a striker, forty five million 
arrival last summer, just what two goals. Um, seemed to start well with that goal against Spurs early on in the season, but he just sort of faded out a little bit and lost his number nine shirt to Wilson now. I mean, what's his future looking like? Does he still have a role to play in that Newcastle yeah, side? It's, it's, it's an interesting one because obviously he's uh, signed up, signed a big contract when he got here. It's going to be very hard to get him off the books. I mean, the writer, the writer was on the wall when Bruce said, look, the guy's not a natural goal scorer. Um, and when you just give by a 40 million striker, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But conversely, by taking that pressure off him of not being the Newcastle number nine and a season adapting in the Premier League, uh, in England as well, having, having spent his time in Germany, I, do you know what? I think he could have a big and still has a part to play. He, he looks much better potentially out wide on the left, um, using a bit of his pace and power. He does have the attributes, you know. I mean, you guys have seen him, he's got the physical attributes, but it just weighed it just weighed so heavy on his shoulders, I think. That number nine, the pressure, and you know, 52,000 every time he misses it, you know, it's audible the, the, the gasps in the stadium. And read, you know, you, you, you read on what fans are saying, it can, it can be tough for him. I think he was living on his own in a, in a flat in the city centre, and it was tough. Um, but Bruce, to his credit, stuck by his man throughout. And he has, he has got a role to play because Newcastle aren't blessed with so many other options. Um, he's not, I, I don't think he's a starter in, in a uh, fully fit team now. Um, but it's a long season, isn't it? And you never know what's going to happen. And yeah, I, I, I think it's, who knows? He's not going to be a 15-goal scorer, but if he chips in, why not? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So you, you've mentioned the the sort of players or the sort of team we can expect to to face at the weekend. Just uh, just briefly, sort of, how do you think the game will play out, star wise, and then just give us a quick prediction before we let you go. Uh, well, Newcastle's defence is. You said what, who did you lose? You lost. You had a heavy defeat to five uh, three to Bournemouth. Bournemouth. Five three to Bournemouth. We did five one to or Newcastle did five one to uh, Borough. Um, the defence isn't looking good. High, so high, I go high scoring. I think there's going to be plenty of mishaps at the back. Um, Fraser's not going to start. Newcastle, I can see, I can see Newcastle taking a while to gel and get into it. Uh, I think two all, two all, two, two all. That sounds. Uh, I think we can all agree that um, West Ham will certainly concede a hatful, and uh, it sounds like if Newcastle's defence is a bit shaky as well, that we can uh, hope for a high score. But Oscar, any of you predicting a, any of you predicting a West Ham win? Uh, we haven't quite we haven't quite got to that bit yet but if you'd listened to the segment before I think uh, it's a pretty (laughs) resounding no from all three of us I think the uh, the two all draw that you've just guessed there Oscar might be the most um, the most positive guess that comes out of the podcast all evening but Oscar you were our first uh, opposition view of the season we thank you very much for coming on and joining us, giving a bit of insight into the uh, from a Newcastle angle, the opposition view ahead of Saturday night's game at the London Stadium. But next up, Tom Edwards will be leading Name That Game. So, Oscar, thanks very much and stick with us for the quiz and the West Ham women's segment next. You are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Thomas Edwards and James Jones. That was Oscar Paul, the Sun Newspaper's North East correspondent covering all things Newcastle this season. And there is a bit of board and ownership envy among the West Ham fans towards Newcastle, which tells you all that you need to know, I think, at the moment about the state 
of our very own West Ham United. But all of that aside, the real competition starts now. We've done away with the Rogue Mystery Players quiz last season because we've gone through all of the Mark Reapers and the Florin Redichoyus of the world. And sticking with the nostalgic tone, we've set up another quiz this season between the three of us in its name that game. Each week, the quiz master, which this week is Thomas Edwards, picks a West Ham match from history and collates seven necessary pieces of information about that game. They are obscure facts or piece of information about the game, the scoreline only without giving away the winner, one opposition goal scorer if there are any, one West Ham goal scorer if there are any, the stadium it was played in, West Ham's opponent and the season. It's one point to, for each piece of information the players get right. Tonight it's me going head-to-head with James. There is a tie break which is the year the game took place if the points are level at the end of the round. So there are two, we can, me and James can interrupt Tom at any time and start the guesses and then it goes alternate from there. So Thomas, it's down to you tonight. This is the first competition proper, unfortunately for me and James, who got a couple of wins in the last couple of weeks when we were still working out the format. We're having to scrap it and go back. So it's nil, nil, nil. There will be beers on the line as there were last season. Five pints of Estrella that I had to purchase for James in a Farringdon boozer. They were very, very painful ones to pay for, but very nice ones to drink in the fantastic company of these two lads. Tom, take it away. I will. I just before I start, I will echo what Jonesy said last week. It is not easy to find a game. There are so many games or random stuff which happen with our club. But here we go. The first obscure fact is it was the first game we wore shirt numbers on the front instead of a shirt sponsor. Right. Any guesses? Oh, mm, I've got a feeling, yes, but because we have to give the information yeah. in order, I'm going to hold off for a minute. All right. All right. A scoreline, 3 1. Right, okay. Oh. Right, I'm going to... Oh, no, I don't want to give it away. No, I, I, that might give it away. Go on, Tom. The opposition... One of the opposition goal scorers, Michael Owen. Ooh. Oh, that's, I was completely wrong then. Um, I sold him up a river of lies here. Right, okay. Okay, uh, yeah, I'm going to go. Go on, go on I'm going to say one of the West Ham goal scorers was Carlton Cole. No. Oh. Jonesy, you get a shot. You get a shot. One of the West Ham goal scorers was David D. McKayley. Yes, it it was. Yes, it was. (laughs) Jesus, that's electric. Okay, so the stadium was Upton Park. Correct. Points on the door. James needs... Opponent it was Newcastle. Yes, it was. Oh, and the season. This is tough. Ah, oh, I remember it. Was. I think I know it. Oh nine ten. Oh no. Is it? Oh wait, oh nine. Yes, it is. Oh yeah. no! It is. Oh, it is. No. It is. 
James uh, Jones. So, Tom, just uh, give us the full details. West Ham against Newcastle, was it? Yeah, sorry, West Ham against Newcastle, 3-1. It was the first game after XL went bust and we had a, we didn't have a sponsor, so we put the shirt numbers on on the front and David Di Michele scored that goal where he flicked it up over one of the defenders' head, put in with his left, and uh, we all thought he was going to be mustard and they were about the only goals he got. But anyway, it was... Uh, for some reason, I was think, I spent a long time trying to think about the game today and it just popped to mind about something a bit different that we had and I thought it would be a good one to do. That's a blinder, that one, Tom. I like that. So just to uh, just to recap then, Jonesy, you got the, I think, three points. Am I right that you got there, Jones? Yeah, three points for me. Yeah, yeah so you got the West Ham goal scorer, uh, you got the opponent and you got the season correct. That was my good, I, I was thinking West Brom away. I seem to remember I had a poster... Of um, West Brom away was around that time, which I thought was the first game. But that's absolutely outstanding stuff. Yeah, David D. McKay didn't go on to. He got out- two that game, by the way. I didn't mention that. He yeah, got two. I was about to say got two that game. Yeah, yeah Everington got the other for us, and it was, yeah, quite a route. I think it might have been, maybe I'm wrong, but I think it might even have been Gianfranco Zola's first game in charge of us, actually. First or early on in his reign, at least. Jonesy, I'm not sure how many episodes um, it's going to take before this joke gets old. Um, happy for you or the listeners to tell me, but you weren't playing rugby for that one, were you? <laughs> you know what, mate? It's so long ago, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> can't remember. Excellent uh, I probably stuff. weren't, though. to be fair, I probably weren't. Okay, so these scores, we've done away with the bonus three points for a win, and we're just doing points per piece of information. So as they stand, the points are one point, to me, three points to James Jones, zero for Tom Edwards, because of course he was the quiz master. I think the quiz master chair swings back round to me for next week. That's nearly us for the evening, but stick with us because next up we've got West Ham fan, sports journalist and women's football expert Ella German joining us to discuss the We Are West Ham women and their, sorry, not the We Are West Ham women. We haven't got a women's team yet. We're thinking about it perhaps, but it turns out that what none of us... Idea. Yeah, yeah, we could do that, couldn't we? Tom, do you know any? Because me and James don't, I think. I know one called Will Pugh, he can pass. <laughs> yeah, I might be all right. But yeah. stick with us because we'll have all of that next. You are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast. It's probably going to be one of our longest episodes in We Are West Ham history. James, Tom and myself having a lot to say about the Grady, Dean Garner saga. Oscar Paul from The Sun letting us, giving us a little bit of insight into the Newcastle squad, the psyche among their fans who are usually more angry about their owner and their board than West Ham are, but not the case at the moment. However... After James Jones's inaugural victory in the first round proper of the Name That Game quiz, I'm delighted to say that we are joined by Ella German, West Ham fan, sports journalist and women's football expert, to talk to us in our new segment that we've been running for a few weeks now on the West Ham women's team. Ella, thank you very much for joining us. The mood around the women's team both on the transfer front and the actual football front a lot more positive than it is around the men's at the moment a one-all draw with Spurs at the weekend a pretty good start to the season yeah definitely um, last season obviously Spurs his first season in the WSL last year we lost them three times which as a West Ham fan was incredibly frustrating they beat us at the London Stadium they beat us again last January 
we scored a 90th minute equaliser and then they scored a 97th minute winner and there's no worse way to go down to Spurs than that. But yeah, a good result to start off the season. Uh, Spurs are a good contender in the WSL for those spots that West Ham are competing for. I have to say, after watching the match, I think we got let off quite lightly. They hit the bar a couple of times. They were all over us in the first half. But uh, yeah, West Ham looked good. Um, hit back with a great strike from Adriana Leon, which I'm sure you've all seen on social. Uh, fantastic goal. I thought she had a great game. Um, but I would say that, you know, although a draw isn't the best result you can get to start the season, it wouldn't be something I'm too worried about. I think I saw the West Ham account actually said that we had seven debuts against Spurs on yeah, Sunday. Yeah. Quite something. But like even looking at that team we had at full time in that game to the team we had last season is vastly different. Whereas I think Spurs only sort of had a couple of changes to the last time they were in WSL. So um, yeah, I'd say definitely a, a good result to start the season with. Well, it's been a, a as we just mentioned, there's been a lot of a lot of new signings, um, and you know, no more so than um, signing England international uh, Rachel Daly. Is that is that a, a sign of just sort of where the direction that England, uh, West Ham are going in that they're signing sort of top international footballers. I mean, I think it was the Czech Football of the Year as well arrived as well. Um, it's, it, it seems to have been a really, really successful summer from the recruitment point of view. Yeah, exactly what you just said, really. The fact that West Ham were able to attract that calibre of player and it's only their third season of being a professional team. So three years ago, they were in the third division of women's football, losing to teams you know lower down the divisions like Coventry like Blackburn and now we're up there competing with your Spurs playing against your Man United um, I think is brilliant I think the Rachel Daly signing actually really took me by surprise so it was rumoured that she'd be signing for an England team she'd been over in America and the sort of videos of her clearly in England with it raining and a jacket on you think that's that's not Texas is it but I was convinced she'd be at United or she'd be go to maybe Everton, she's from Leeds, so I thought, oh, she'll go to one of the big teams up north. So I went to South West Ham, I was pretty blown away, to be honest. Um, and, yeah, I think it's an absolutely fantastic signing. Um, albeit only on loan till January, but I think she will be a fantastic leader in that squad, a fantastic role model for them to look up for. And also, like you said, Katarina Svitkova also joined the squad. Really excited to see her. She's got incredible stats from Slavia Prague. In 177 appearances, she scored 188 goals. Now, albeit that isn't as competitive as WSL, but makes me excited to watch her in action. Yeah, so, um, yeah absolutely what you said. The signs are pointing in the right direction for West Ham. The fact that we can attract that player, the fact we've got a you know, well-known lioness in our squad is, is really, really great for, for the future. Tom, those, so, Tom, Tom, sorry to interrupt. Those stats sound like the ones you gave me before you came and played with me on a Wednesday night once. It wouldn't surprise me, mate. I honestly <laughs> forget how many goals I score. Some power league have honestly told me. They've seen me for 30 minutes. Sometimes they pulled me off and said, let the kids have a go. Um, but this weekend, obviously, Arsenal coming off the back of a 6-1 win against Reading and some of the goals they scored in that game were phenomenal. They looked like a tough side to be playing, especially in front of uh, the first fans are going to get in, aren't they? About a thousand fans are going to be in there watching at home for us. So hopefully that'll make a difference. But how, what do you make of this game the week, uh, on the weekend? Sorry. Uh, like you said, I think it's going to be really, really tough. Arsenal were fantastic on mm. Saturday. So on Sunday it was. Mm. Um, I thought they were absolutely brilliant. The football they played 
um, their team goals they scored, um, and I, Viva Miedemar scored a, a banger as well. They were they were fantastic to watch. And yeah, I think it would be really really tough. I think the biggest thing for West Ham is last season they were quite inconsistent and quite leaky in defence as well. I hate to bring it up, but we lost eight 0 to Chelsea last year, so I think we can't afford to let those big teams, especially the likes of Miedemar up front, Beth Mead, Caitlin Ford, Jordan Nobbs, all the big names in women's football. Yeah, can't be letting them run right, really. Um, but I remember last year, we played them on the first day of the season, um, only lost 2-1. I remember we, we hit the post a couple of times. So we can give them a good go. Um, but yeah, I think the most important thing for West Ham to focus on is, um, yeah, keeping that defence tight. And just don't let Vivian Miedemar on the ball, basically. That's uh, easier said than done, I think, for sure. But Ella, you mentioned there the like, the good signings and the the positive work that West Ham have done over the summer, and and obviously you thinking that that players might have gone elsewhere or to to other clubs within the WSL. What is it at the moment that's making the West Ham women's team? For those of us, you know, like the three of us, we're, we're keen to shine a light on the women's team this this year, and there will be people listening who who perhaps don't know as much, if anything. Uh, about what the West Ham women's team get up to. What is it that's making West Ham such an appealing place for, for these big names to, to sign for this summer? I think the club, I've been really impressed by the sort of effort and investment they've put into the team. I sort of said this when they first you know, made a big stride to take them from the third division to professional. And then doing that again this season, we've taken them to Victoria Road to play in a new stadium, an actual purpose-built football stadium, rather than one of the pitches at, at Rush Green, and their own facility at Chadwell Heath. I think for any female footballers out there looking at those facilities, looking at those options where they could play, and the club's clearly got ambition for their women's team, I think makes it a really, really attractive um, place to play. Um, something I wanted to mention is there's another documentary out the behind the scenes documentary squad goals on the West Ham women's team I think um, you've just nicked you've, you've nicked James's question I think nabbed it <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll go on anyway um, and yeah the squad goals documentary I think is fantastic obviously I imagine you've seen the one last year British youngest football boss on Jack Sullivan Jack Sullivan yeah yeah I think that was a good you know, initial tool to promote the women's game. But for me, it focused a little bit too much on Jack and it got a bit cringe at times. I think, you know, as a West Ham... <laughs> Imagine that. See that. But at points, I was like, oh, come on. It's not all, you know, I don't want to be following Jack around every single episode for 30 minutes. But this new one um, is really great, sort of really focuses on the players and really delves a bit deeper into, you know, what, what it's like to be a professional women's footballer at West Ham. So... Would really recommend that, and yeah, I just think that exposure that women's team getting is is really great as well. Anyone listening at home, where can they watch that, Ella? Uh, BBC iPlayer. Um, I think they're showing some episodes on BBC One on a Sunday night, sort of um, showing them um, weekly. But you can watch the whole series on iPlayer now, which is yeah, really recommend it as a West Ham fan. It's a great watch. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we hope to, obviously, you're far more of an expert than the three of us here, but the three of us, certainly, if, uh, if fans are going to be able to go along to, to watch the women's team, we're going to try and get along there a few times this season to watch the girls in action. But, um, yeah, it certainly sort of it seems like an exciting time, and luckily for the women's team, they managed to separate themselves from a lot of the negative PR surrounding the men's side at the moment. What are your, for the women's team, what are your sort of 
of expectations for this season? You mentioned some of the huge, huge teams that are in uh, at WSL who they're competing against this season. And there already does, you know, if you look at uh, the league table last year, there seems to be that correlation of whoever throws the most money into it, as in the men's game, it, it seems to be buying success in the WSL. What, what do you sort of think for West Ham is a reasonable expectation this season? Yes, exactly. As you said, there's a huge gulf in the WSL. And I think that top four will no doubt be the Chelsea, City, Arsenal, United. Now, I think the league then breaks down into out of 12. There's probably another four there, which I'd say are West Ham, Everton, Tottenham, Reading. Last season, we finished eighth, so sort of at the bottom of that top four. But I think um, a great season for West Ham would be, you know, keeping in that section. We don't want to be falling down and dropping to the likes of the teams I think will struggle. The Brightons, the Bristol Cities, the Birminghams, the clubs that are a bit more financially restricted than sort of the teams, teams that come with Premier League men's teams. Um, so, yeah, I think a great season for West Ham would be you know, to improve on last seasons, but I don't see us really getting near that top four. I think the golf is too big in terms of quality and financial investment. But um, yeah, I'd say a sixth or seventh, I think would be a great finish for West Ham this season. Excellent. Well, Ella, we really appreciate you joining us. Just quickly before you go, what's your score prediction for the women's team this week? And then give us one for the men's against Newcastle as well. I'm a West Ham, I'm a West Ham podcast, so can't say <laughs> against Arsenal. Don't um, worry, you, you wait till you hear our prediction for the yeah. men's team in a minute. I'll, I won't worry about that. I'll be more negative that, enough, I'll tell you You that. don't have to be on brand here. Um, I'm, I think, let's go, I think we'll lose 3-1 to Arsenal. Yeah, I'm going to slightly positive, get us a goal. Um, the men's and the men's? Team, oh, where do I start? Um... I'll be positive. They need some positivity. I'll go for a scrappy 1-0 for the boys. <laughs> scrappy 1-0. One one That's excellent. Hello, German. West Ham fan, sports journalist and women's football expert. Thanks very much for joining us. We're our first guest on uh, the West Ham women's segment that we're doing at the end of our show every single week and we'll be doing throughout the rest of the season. So we hope to speak to you again and uh, hope we can discuss a bit more of a successful West Ham women's team than, uh, than perhaps we see on the pitch at the London Stadium. Ella, thanks a lot. So that was Ella German, West Ham fan, sports journalist and women's football expert covering all things West Ham women. Positive signs for the women's team. A very, very difficult game against Arsenal at the weekend. Ella opting for a 3-1 defeat. Well, lads, finally, nearly two hours later, I think this will be one of our longest ever shows. But I think you two will agree, as will everyone at home listening, we've, we've packed in, in stuff into every minute and not a minute has been wasted. Any final thoughts, Jonesy, from you? Bit of a tough week for West Ham. An excellent podcast put out off the back of it, which seems to be the uh, seems to be the way with shows that we've been doing for the last couple of years. Every time something bad happens, we tend to put out our best shows. What are your uh, What are your final thoughts? Yeah, I, my final thoughts are that just hope that the the coming weeks, what what's happened prior it doesn't snowball into something a lot a lot worse. I mean it might sound might seem at the moment like it couldn't get any worse, but you know, you just never know dear really with us. Um I'd like to see us 
you know, if we're not going to win at the weekend, at least put in a, a strong, a strongish performance. And I know there's like a lot of fans are lost hope in us getting the result at the weekend. But again, like I said, you just never know. We might turn up and win three 0 You know, and no one would be surprised if we did. Um, but it'd just be nice over the coming weeks, just for things just to die down, sign a couple of players, and um, we can we can enjoy recording episodes where we're not having a moan and a groan for once. Um, that's what I wish for, guys. It's all I wish for. You it's all you want. You're not a man of, uh, you're not high maintenance, Jonesy, are you? I'm not, no. I just want to smile every now and then, you know? <laughs> I think we're all agreed, James, that the key, the, the key to all of this will definitely be whether West Ham sign anyone. I think if we're yeah. having a conversation in a couple of weeks' time or a few weeks' time when the transfer window's closed and we've got the same squad as now, I, uh, I dread to think about the sort of uh, anarchy that we will see in and around the football club. Thomas, great mm. stuff from you tonight, as ever, especially on the, the issues that really matter. What are, your, uh, what are your final feelings after an excellent show? Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm with Jonesy. Just, a, just a hoping for something positive to happen around the club, a bit of something to take your teeth into and have a bit of hope going into the season because every football fan in the country lives in the summer for that first game of the season where anything is possible and you've got that idea that who knows what can happen and maybe it will be the season you get in Europe or something or, or whatever it is and I hope that we have a little bit of positivity and just at the end of the show to wrap up I'll let everyone know that uh, West Ham under 21s beat Southend 3-1 tonight uh, 17 year old Odi Becker got two again and, and something like that maybe him coming on the scene and getting in the middle of the match day squad because he's scored a lot of goals this season would be something to look forward to. So just a glimmer of hope, mate, but we've got a good enough squad to go out there and be more than safe this season. So just come out on a weekend, put in a good performance and hopefully we're sat here in a week's time and we're waxing lyrical about someone who's done something great for us on the weekend. Absolutely. So that was uh, West Ham beating Southend in the EFL Trophy tonight, I believe. Yeah, I think I think you're right there, Tom. The glimmer of hope we can hold on to is the fact is Declan Rice and Grady D and Garner were two outstanding recent prospects from the youth academy and we haven't seen any of those for a while well that is it from us this week stay with us and keep your eye on we are west ham during the week and especially get your ears around next week's podcast we've got a huge announcement to make the three of us we've got uh, something that we secured and finalized only this afternoon so it was too much of a rush to get it out and get it all put together and ready for tonight's show but stay tuned next week because some big news coming as far as we are West Ham are concerned and it will mean an exciting new segment on the show from next week onwards you can join our fantasy Premier League league as Jonesy has also already mentioned the code is all lowercase c-n-y-6-o-u CNY6OU for the Fantasy Premier League League to battle against me, Jonesy, Tom and the rest of the We Are West Ham listeners. Already more than 300 people signed up, which is a very small percentage of the amount who listen to this podcast every week. Follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at we are underscore West Ham on Twitter. You can subscribe now to our YouTube channel and watch this show 
on you can get to see the uh the lovely faces of james and tom and also my dodgy barnet as well so the youtube link will be in the podcast description so just go down on your phone and click on that and while you're there while you're in the podcast uh on the podcast platform why not give us a review didn't have any last week but uh give us five stars write a couple of kind words or write some unfriendly words if you like tell us what you think of uh, our dodgy clobber or our dodgy barnet but thanks everyone as always for listening i know it's hard but try and keep the faith if you can we're still west ham united we are west ham up the hammers and we'll see you next week hello there i'm tony gal and you are listening to we are west ham podcast Podcast Network.